Morning. Sweet. Um, Exodus 4. You can start turning there now. That's where we'll be here in a few minutes. Exodus chapter 4. While we're turning there, does anyone have a life verse? A life verse. That used to be a thing. Now, the one Jen has a life verse. Oh, Alan, Mark, we have a few. Life verse. So when, we were, when we were dividing up the book of Exodus, Mark graciously gave us our passage this morning. Gave me our passage this morning. Well, because it has my life verse in it. Exodus 4.11, my life verse says, Who has made man's mouth? Well, some of you guys are like, what the heck kind of life verse is that? So let me explain. If you knew me growing up, one thing you would have known about me is I had a horrible stuttering problem. Think King Speech or, or Water Boy. Yeah, I hated that movie. <laughs> so as a kid who struggled immensely to speak, baseball quickly became my identity. I, I could speak without using words, just hit the ball and run. Though even that was a catch-22, because when you, you played really good, you'd have to get interviewed after the game. Some of my most embarrassing moments in college came after a home run in the post-game room. Well, actually, the, the most embarrassing moment is when I had to take a speech class at OU. And because of my degree, I, I, I took classes filled with other athletes. Don't ask me what I majored in. But in this class, I was given an assignment to, to give a persuasive speech in front of the entire basketball team, uh, most of the football players, and some from the girls' soccer team. Well, of course, I got to persuade them with the gospel, right? I was a new Christian. This was my one shot. Do, do not miss your chance to blow. Oh, but I did. <laughs> I could hardly get a word out of my mouth. Wall after wall after wa 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 wall. They were definitely locked in. They kind of locked in like when you see a man with two heads. After I finished, I walked straight out of the classroom, went upstairs into the bathroom, sat on the toilet, and wept. Like, why, God? You saved me, and now you've given me a, a passion to make your name known and I can't freaking talk. Why? I'll never forget a prayer of mine just a couple months after that horrible memory my senior year. I was looking out at the not so gnarly waves and from the Atlantic Ocean and Virginia Beach. I, I just finished a wonderful gospel conversation with a man walking along the shore he was a total stranger, but after, after some small talk, I decided to make the always awkward move to spiritual things. Now, this man didn't become a follower of Jesus after our conversation, though I do hope I planted a pebble in his shoe. But, 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 but the prayer I'll, I'll never forget is what I told the Lord after telling this stranger about Jesus. I told God that I will never, never again miss an opportunity to preach the gospel. I had just graduated from college and, and someone paid for me to be in Virginia at a two-week speech therapy intensive. It was intense. 
Well, you can imagine after this intensive and after I preached the gospel to this man without hitting a single wall, why I told God that I would never again miss an opportunity to preach Christ. What I had understood my calling to be as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, even before this therapy, was to be a fisher of men and women. Now I felt like I had a fishing pole. Well, since that intensive over 11 years ago, I've had my ups and downs with my speech. Good weeks and awful weeks where those walls are still there. There's not a day that, that goes by, not a day that goes by without some sort of disappointment with my inability to speak well. And I definitely haven't lived up to the empty promise I made that I will never miss an opportunity to preach the gospel. By God's grace, when I get behind the pulpit, I I seem to have some freedom. But that's not without reciting my life verse and telling myself seven times before I walk up here, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But when I'm at my worst, I'm looking inward at my glaring inadequacies, wanting in, wanting to throw in the towel. What about you guys? Is there a weakness in your life that if you just didn't have, you'd be doing so much more for God? Maybe you know that the calling the Lord has given you, you know that you were created for so much more. But after looking inward, you say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not good enough. This morning, we're going to finally finish the, the conversation that Moses has with God. What began as a flame spread into a name. I am who I am. But for Moses, we're going to see that I am isn't enough. Often, like us, Moses wants more. There's no way that God wants to use someone as lame as me. And what Moses begins to see in this story, and will continue to see throughout the book of Exodus, is that only when you realize you are not, but you know I am, then and only then are you free to be all who God has called you to be. I hope our passage this morning is going to free us to be the people that God has called us to be. We were made for so much more. But let's jump into the text so you can see it yourself. If you're not already there, Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1. But, but before we jump in, remember, we're in the middle of a conversation. God has just revealed himself to Moses. I am who I am, Yahweh. And then he told Moses exactly what he's going to do. Use him to get his people out of slavery. That's where we'll pick up in verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Our passage begins this morning with another objection that Moses has for God. When God showed up in a fire, he gave Moses his call to to go to Egypt and free my people. If you remember Moses' first objection, it was, who am I? Who am I? 
You can't send me. God's response, I will be with you. Moses' second objection from last week, well, who are you? God's response, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. And this morning, we will see Moses' third, fourth, and fifth objections. Moses is a man with many excuses. So let's start with this first one. What if they don't listen or believe in me? God's response, I got you, Moses. Try these signs. Look at verse 2. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Exactly what I would do. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. What a scene, right? Just when Moses thought things couldn't get any stranger, as he's talking to this fire, stranger things begin to appear. Sign one, the staff. This 80-year-old shepherd's trusted old stick transforms into a snake and then back to a stick again. But there's more. Look at verse 6. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Sign two, Moses' skin. I mean, what the heck is going through Moses' mind, right? Normal flesh, probably a little wrinkly, but normal nonetheless. And then, boom, diseased, white as snow, flaky, nasty. Put it back in your cloak, voila, healed, restored. But God is not done answering Moses' first objection. What if they do not believe me? Look at verse 8. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. All right, Moses. God says, if if any Israelite still doesn't believe that I sent you, this third sign will be the clincher. You're going to pour some water, water from the same river that I preserved you on as you floated on that little ark 80 years ago. And when you pour that water on the ground, I'm going to turn it into a river of blood. These signs are not just little party tricks that Moses can use whenever he wants to draw a crowd like you might see in Boulder on a Saturday afternoon. No, these are signs. Signs in scripture are pointers to greater realities. They, they point beyond themselves. The snake demonstrates that the Lord, Yahweh, 
the great I am, has, has ultimate authority, sovereign even over this creature, the snake, the snake that Egypt revered and even used as a symbol of authority for Pharaoh. Talk about subversive. The other two signs, the skin and the blood, show Israel that, that God not only has power to transform, but has power over life and death. These signs also point further to, to God's future salvation and judgment. The real sign will be the exodus itself, plagues included. God is saying that, that with these signs, Moses, they will believe you. The name of God has been revealed. We saw that last week in chapter 3, verse 14. I am who I am. But a name in this culture is not simply a, a name. It has meaning. Right? It's a person's character. The, the, the book of Exodus, as we will see, is actually an exposition of chapter 3, verse 14. The name of God, I am. God's name is going to have meaning for his children because of what he will do. In the years that, that followed, if you were to ask an Israelite, who is God, they most likely wouldn't have told you his name. They would have told you a story, the story of Exodus. God says to Moses, with these signs, they will believe you. My question for you, Moses, is will you believe me? Verse 10 answers that question in the negative. The signs aren't enough. Moses needs more. Look at verse 10. As we see Moses' fourth objection. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, now I didn't bring up my personal story earlier, so, so as to say, I'm a new Moses. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> scholars aren't even certain what his objection is here. Most scholars do see it as some sort of a speaking inadequacy. The, the, the context in the coming verses seem to make that clear. But whether Moses, like most Americans, would rather die than give a public speech, or if he actually had some sort of speech impediment, we don't know. What we do know for certain is that God was calling him. That God had made him for more than shepherding sheep and living for the Midianite dream of two kids, a wife, and a couple camels. But instead of trusting I am... Moses chose to look at himself. And guess what? He found a weakness. I can't speak good, God. You got the wrong guy. Now it's easy to look at Moses and be like, come on, bro. What else does God need to show you? Imagine if you were in this scene, he's still talking to this fire. But, but let's pause here for a little application. Is this not us? Like we know God has more for our lives than simply to be happy, comfortable, rich, vicariously living through our kids and our careers. We know that if we're Christian, the, the Holy Spirit actually lives in us and has put us on mission. 
And that mission is to make disciples, disciples who make disciples. This is actually not optional. If we're not doing this, it begs to ask ourselves, are we even disciples? We know God calls Christians to live a life of holiness, a a life of obedience. But what does that even mean in 2022? One of my professors last week, he said this, Christian maturity means he's Lord over your wallet and your zipper. He's Lord over everything. Oh, come on. Are we really called to give until it hurts? Are you saying that we're actually called to abstain from all sorts of sexual sin? We got TikTok. Yeah, but come on, God. Like, do we really need to take the commands in the Bible seriously? Don't we have grace in Jesus? Isn't that what he's for? This is us, right? Like Moses, we can all look inward and find excuses. And I just gave a couple of examples. Applications here are endless. What is the Lord calling you to do? Moses hears a call from God, the one who has just revealed himself as the great I am. And Moses looks inward. He loses the narrative. I mean, look at even how he addresses God in verse 10. Pardon your servant, Lord. Notice Lord is not in all caps. God has revealed himself as Lord in all caps as as I am Yahweh. Moses is still calling him Lord Elohim, a common title for many different kinds of divine beings. He's so distracted with his own inadequacies that he's lost the narrative. And we know, like Moses, it doesn't take long to find some inadequacy as we look inward. And when we do, we think we found a way out to do what God is calling us to do. But thankfully, when I am has called someone his own, he's not going to let us off the hook that easy. I am is not done with Moses in our passage, and neither is he done with you if you've lost the narrative. Look at verse 11. The Lord, I am, said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses' objection, I can't talk, yo. Yahweh's response, I made your mouth. I will help you speak. God is like, I got this, Moses. I got this. When will you grasp that you are not, but I am? Mark quoted Louis Giglio last week, but it deserves repeating. Some of us in the men's group are even going to get matching tattoos. haven't told you that yet, Holly, but (laughs) I am not, but I know I am. Like write that on your mirror in your bathroom. I am not, but I know I am. Put that on your screensaver on your phone. I am not, but I know I am. This is what 
God wants Moses and wants us to grasp. Unfortunately, even after God's response here, Moses still doesn't get it. I wish the passage ended right here. And I wish I always found hope in reciting my life verse. But it doesn't always happen that way. Look at verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. There's the lowercase Elohim again. Please send someone else. Moses keeps looking at himself. And here we see Moses has ran out of excuses. Send somebody else. I am not your guy. Leave me alone. He's done. Verse 14, God's not happy. Then the Lord's anger burned. He's already speaking to him in a fire. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Uh Uh-oh. The Lord who has appeared in a flame is now filled with anger towards Moses. And remember, this is the same God who caused the flood one book ago, who caused Lot's wife to turn into salt for not trusting in him. And now I am's anger is burning against Moses. What is about to go down? Let's keep reading. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. (laughs) What a gracious God in his anger. Later on in the book of Exodus, Exodus 34, God is going to reveal himself again to Moses. And this becomes a passage that Jews everywhere memorize. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is I am. As Moses throws in the towel to quit, God says, Aaron, Aaron, your brother, that dude can preach. What's he up to these days? Well, God knows that answer as well, since he's already had Aaron on the move even before Moses gives his objections. Look at the end of verse 14. He is already on the way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. Again, God's total sovereignty over all things, and yet Moses' actual decision. Please send somebody else. Now, I'm going to keep saying this through the book of Exodus, but we need a category in our minds for the mystery of true human agency and God's total and complete sovereignty over everything. Let's finish our passage. Verse 15 and following. You shall speak to him, Aaron, and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Moses has no more objections. In verse 18, we actually see that he heads back to tell his family and then he heads out on this journey. Now our passage ends with a command in verse 17. Take your staff and guess what? Moses listens. So our passage here does end with Moses trusting I am. Moses' initial concern in our passage was if the Israelites are going to listen and obey him, believe in him, 
Even though God was calling him to focus on I am, Moses couldn't help finding all the ways that he was not. God kept telling Moses, they will believe me, but will you? And as Moses picks up his stick and heads out for journey of a lifetime, I think it's safe to say he's back on the narrative. I'm sure his entire trip home, he kept saying over and over again, I am not, but that's okay. I know I am. Robert Murray McShane once said, for every one look at self, take 10 looks at Christ. In the first nine verses of our passage this morning, the word believe comes up five times. That clues us in this is an important theme, at least in this passage. Well, the Gospel of John, if you know the New Testament, he wrote the entire book with that purpose in mind, so that you may believe. John says that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, the Gospel of John is also a story with signs. Seven signs, to be exact, when Jesus transformed the, the water into wine to keep the party alive in John 2, when he healed the royal official's son in John 4, the healing of the paralyzed man by the pool, John 5, the feeding of the 5,000 in John 6, the walking on the water also in John 6, then he heals the man born blind in John 9, and then finally in John 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead. When we get to John 14, Jesus makes a claim about who he is when he says, believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Like Moses early on, and like we will see in the coming weeks with Pharaoh, the Pharisees, they also want more. And so they ask Jesus, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. If you really are, I am in the flesh, come on, man, you got to show us more than just a few healings. Give us a sign that will convince us. Listen to what Jesus says to them in Matthew's gospel. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, Jesus himself, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Although it would be pretty cool to see my hiking pole turn into a snake, we already have the greatest signs imaginable. The cross and the resurrection. That Jesus, the Son of God, loved you and gave himself for you. So that you can stop looking inward to find your meaning and significance. So that you can stop looking inward when you think about God's call over your life. So that you can know that, yes, you are not but through the cross and the resurrection, you can know I am. 
Don't lose the narrative by looking inward. For every one look at self, take ten looks at Christ. It is only when we are weak, church, when we are truly strong. Like the late J.I. Packer would say, weakness is the way. You can be who God has, has called you to be, namely ordinary, but on mission with this extraordinary God. Imagine if, if we as a church regained the narrative that God had, has called us into. That, that, that we saw our calling as God's people on mission in Parker to know him and to make him known. We were made for so much more. Have you lost the narrative? Because it is only when we realize that we are not, but we know I am, then we are free to be who God has called us to be. Do you believe this? Let me pray. Oh Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your provision in Christ. God, we thank you for the gospel. That you have given us, your people, the greatest signs imaginable. That Jesus died and that he rose again. God, help us as a church to be okay to say we are not, but we know I am. That we would be on mission, looking not inwardly, looking to you as our Lord and our hope, the great I am. It's in your name we pray. Amen.